Hi everybody, um, this is uh, Alfredo here from Infectious Diseases and I am uh, with Dr. Peace, uh, Dr. David Peace, uh, who uh, is the Program Director for Hematology Oncology. Um, we are doing this as part of our series on meeting program directors and uh, hopefully to give you guys some tips on applying and some tips on uh, finding the right program for you and also so you can get to know our own programs. So Dr. Peace, welcome to the ChiefCast. Well, good morning and thanks for inviting me. So let's start with who are you? Um, you've been program director for how long? I've been program director here since the year 2000, so that makes 18 years now. Wow, there you go. Time flies. <laughs> that time does fly. Uh, and uh, tell me a little bit about who you are career-wise. So you're currently an, uh, a professor in hematology oncology. Right. So. Um, I've been professor here. Um, I joined the faculty in 1997, so um, this is my 21st year at the uh, university. I previously uh, was at Loyola University for five years, and then um, prior to that was um, faculty at the uh, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center, University of Washington in Seattle. Um, so I've been at this for a couple of decades. Cool. And um, my focus is in um, uh, currently is in uh, lymphoma uh, malignancies and uh, GU malignancies. Um, I obviously direct the fellowship program um, and wear a couple of other hats around the institution here. Great, and many of you will will have the pleasure of working with Dr. Peace in the hematology service or in Morning Report. I certainly loved having uh, uh, Dr. Peace stop by Morning Report when I was a chief uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so thank you for being here, Dr. Peace, and thank you so much for your time. A couple of questions. First question is kind of the most common one. What are you looking for in a fellow? So that's the question I always get, and um, I don't have a stock answer for you. Um, what I find um, is that we're looking for um, folks that will fit the chemistry of our program um, and, and how do you define that? That's a pretty subjective thing, but when interview season comes along, we depend a lot on multiple viewpoints from uh, different people and how they um, relate to the uh, candidates. Um, we're very democratic in our selection process. and. Um, some people may have a very positive feeling about a particular individual where others might not feel so um, uh, strongly about those individuals. It, it all sorts out in a um, uh, fairly free-form discussion and, and uh, a review process. Uh, what I personally look for in, in candidates are, are you know, the basic elements of what goes into making a good doc, so someone who's, who's got um, a, a true sense of empathy for patients, um, uh, high motivation level, um, humanistic skills, obviously great clinical skills, but we're also looking for a little bit more. We're looking for that intellectual enthusiasm, uh, someone who has an investigative spirit, um, uh, someone who's not satisfied with the status quo. Uh, Hemonc is a, a very dynamic field where there's a lot of change going on and, and uh, unfortunately our therapies are s still fall short for lots of patients and 
there, there's you, you can't sit still in this field because uh, the outcomes uh, need to be improved. So obviously, people who are looking to change the status quo and to bring new new therapeutics and modalities to treatment of patients is, is um, key to advancing our field. And, and we're looking for trainees who will carry the torch. So uh, we look for that energy and, and enthusiasm. So I, I think for a candidate who's looking for HEMOC programs, and this goes across the country, you know, our program directors are really aiming to find people who will advance the field and, and take, take the field of HEMOC uh, uh, forward and uh, looking for people that may bring that spirit and energy to the, uh, to the program. Um, but that said, uh, we don't have a fixed uh, genotype that we're looking for. We, we look for lots of hemong term there. We look for lots of polymorphisms in our <laughs> trainees, and uh, it's uh, it, you generic, know genetic variability. The other the other thing that um, I don't think individual applicants have a sense of, but when when you're looking to recruit into a program, you're also thinking about the um, kind of the group dynamics and and the who's the right fit for the group of people that are on board. It's kind of like picking a baseball team. Uh, you know, you, you may need a shortstop or a first baseman. Um, um, so one size doesn't fit all, and, and people may come in with particular strengths that would really match up with uh, maybe a project that's ongoing in the program, and, and that might give that person a, a leg up or a certain advantage. Sorry about that. No worries, no worries. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of an open-ended process in terms of the ultimate uh, selection criteria, but those are um, general view, viewpoints. Perfect. And I'm going to switch the table around. Uh, what should applicants be looking for in programs, like nationwide? And I, I think, I always tell people when they apply for ID, for example, you should always ask yourself what you want to do after fellowship and find the program that would, that can take you there. In such a broad and complex and evolving field like Hemunk, um, what advice would you give for applicants? What should they look for in programs? So as you point out, it's a very broad and complex field and there's no one-size-fits-all type program. Um, you see huge variation in size of programs and in the uh, general thematics of programs, uh, the emphasis that they place on particular um, research uh, efforts or clinical trial programs. Um, uh, so one has to search their own soul to define where they might want to be in the future. And it's critically important. I'd like to emphasize that, you know, everyone gets through their medical school, they get through the residency program, but you know, you're, you're reaching that critical point in your career, and I think fellowship is one of the most formative um, um, points in your, in your development as a uh, uh, physician. It really sets the trajectory of what your life will be for the next several decades after you finish your fellowship program. So it, it is a bit of a momentous type of process. Um, uh, and uh, I'm kind of one who believes we each have our own sense of destiny and, and try to sort that out and, and, and look for that perfect match. Um, that said, there's probably no such thing as a perfect match, uh, but you try to get as close to it as you can. And 
you know, looking at different programs, you do have to weigh what, what they offer, and, and you're going to see wide variability in terms of the um, uh, uh, resources that are available and, and the opportunities that are available in any, any given program. So, for example, as I was telling one of your peers yesterday, if, if you're very interested in clinical trial type operations and becoming an investigative uh, um, clinical trialist, you know, a program like Ohio State, where, where they, you know, enroll 400 to 500 patients a year on, on various uh, protocols, might be a particularly appealing type of program. Others, if, if, if you're very interested in um, development of novel therapeutics and some of the very cool targeted uh, pathway systems, you might want to think of a program like Portland, uh, where Brian Drucker's uh, driving the field, developer of Gleevec. Um, uh, there, are, each program has its own atmospherics about it, and it's very important to visit these places because you you pick up on that. You can read it in a book, but by going on site, talking to people, you, you quickly get a feel of what really is the um, the, uh, the, gist of the DNA of the program. Yeah. And what makes our program such a great place to train? So. University of Illinois, I think most trainees that come from our program are going to have a sense of uh, what our institution's all about, and our, our program fits into that mode. And so I, I think what you find um, at the University of Illinois program is this incredible commitment to working with um, uh, disparate populations and uh, understanding healthcare disparities and, and, and approaching those problems. This, this fits into um, our sense of um, uh, self and who we are and what we do. You might be aware of our global health initiative uh, from Hemonc with Dr. Rondelli's efforts to um, convey technology to uh, transplant technology to very um, uh, uh, resource-limited resource uh, countries. And in fact, next week we have in, uh, physicians coming from Uganda, uh, Nepal, uh, India, Cuba, all for a, a workshop that will help promote that. So, you know, that's a, a very unique and dynamic program that's um, emanating from this institution. We have other um, kind of uh, boutique uh, research uh, projects that are very uh, interesting and, and, and uh, have national reputation, like our sickle cell transplant program. Uh, our breast, our breast program with disparity uh, um, uh, research efforts is also uh, gaining a lot of traction and interest uh, from across the country. So that's that's an important aspect of who we are. And I, I think the other thing that I uh, have um, appreciated being a faculty member and working with trainees uh, here on the west side of Chicago, it's 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 a very um, humanistic type of uh, institution. We, we really do focus on the, we, we value the patient and the, the service that we provide to them. Um, the economic aspects of medicine are not quite so, um, such a driving force for us. Um, um, it's, we're committed to serving the underserved and uh, that, that's I think one of the most heartening aspects of uh, what we as an institution and as a Hemong program do. It's, it's, it's always been uh, remarkable, to, remarkable to me how many patients we've treated who are undocumented and uh, 
come in and end up getting uh, incredibly uh, high-tech uh, service transplants and things of that nature. Um, and, life-saving and things, yeah. Life-saving treatments that um, uh, are clearly not available in their homeland and uh, we're able to manage it in many cases, although I will say it's been getting more and more difficult in the current environment. And I'm sure the residents uh, listen to, listening to uh, the Chief Cast, uh, I'm sure they have issues getting blood pressure medication sometimes approved. Imagine, you know, complex chemotherapy regimens and, and all of these kind of high-tech things. Yeah. So that's super interesting. Um, one question, one last question for residents would be, what should they focus on on their CV? Are publications really that important? How should they beef themselves up for the application? So, you know, this goes back to the question, what's the ideal candidate? And, um, you know, we all have this dream of the MD-PhD who walks in, who's the perfect clinician, and, and basically walks on water, you know, and has a, has a, has a CV with a hundred publications in New England Journal. That, that's... Five languages. Yeah, five languages. He's also but, an archer. But, you know, the, the reality is, you know, most of us march through stepwise. Uh, we, we do our undergrad, we get the med school and, and off to residency and... and uh, don't take that time off to do our PhD and, and may not have the uh, heaviest uh, CV when it comes to publications. But it is increasingly important to have some sort of um, uh, documentation of your level of motivation. I, I think publications represents motivation. Um, and so I, when I'm scanning through the hundreds of applications that we get, I, I do take a look at the uh, publication list. I'm looking for abstracts. I'm looking for um, case reports. Uh, I'm obviously looking for peer-reviewed publications that um, uh, trainees manage to become um, a part of. And, and what I'm especially looking for are academic products that reflect an interest in hematology oncology. So if you have uh, 100 articles on, um, I don't want to pick on ID, but, you know, um, trypanosoma uh, uh, infections. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cruzi, uh, That's great, but it's going to raise questions in my mind. What's going on with this person? Why, why are they switching into hemonks? So I'm always looking at the publication list in terms of what... Trying Let's to get try, a sense of who's the person. Who's this person? Are they really keenly interested and motivated to become a hemonker? And, and do, their, do their activities reflect that? And obviously abstracts and, and case reports do reflect that. That said, there is a priority list there. Obviously peer-reviewed publications stand out and really uh, burnish your application. Um, if you can manage to get onto a collaborative group effort that leads to abstracts, uh, meeting presentations, not that you have to be the uh, platform presenter, but you're on the abstract, your name is up in lights with the, uh, with the others. Uh, and that generally reflects someone who's done some sort of chart reviewing for, for a um, particular project or, or done a, a fair amount of legwork to manage to get their name on, on that type of um, effort. That stands out as well. And then, you know, case reports are there. That, that's pretty uh, low-hanging fruit for pretty much any resident to approach a faculty member and say, got any interesting cases that I can work on. If you, you, know, you have time in your residency to 
to pull that off at least. And, and you, you don't want to have a blank spot on your application when it comes to publications. Yeah. And, and I think showing passion for the specialty, even things like volunteering or, or, or things outside of, of, you know, scholarly work of, of different kinds, giving lectures, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I do pay attention to all the um, ancillary things as well. So as you point out, uh, what volunteer services, uh, community services, um, you know, if you've, you've been in the, um, in the uh, free clinics or whatnot, I, I, I do um, take that into consideration. Awesome. And then one last question. In such an evolving field, uh, what would you tell your future hematologist oncologist? What, where's, why do hematology and where is it going? So the more things change, the, the more they remain the same, I guess. But um, we're in a period of um, inflection point in hematology oncology with just an enormous influx of uh, new drugs and new modalities of therapy. Um, you see it on TV ads now, the Kytrudas and the... Uh, Abvito are out there, so the immunotherapies have arrived and are escalating. It's an extremely exciting and dynamic time. Um, much of this is picking up on themes that have been worked on for decades, to be honest, but there do seem to be breakthroughs occurring that are really exciting people, and the field is changing. So, CAR T cells, um, you know, we can genetically modify your immune cells to go after your tumor, and uh, that is a technology that is just ex is exploding. I think you have to be adaptable in this field, and, and you have to have that enthusiasm for change, um, because you will be bypassed very quickly over the next decade by the, the, by, by the nature of uh, the way this, this particular subspecialty is, is changing. Each year, we have to um, assimilate, uh, you know, umpteen number of FDA new approvals and our guidelines as projected by the National Cancer Center Network keeps expanding exponentially. So it's, it's a daunting task to enter this field. But that said, I would, I would again get back to that idea. What's your destiny? Where do you want to be? And how do you want to be doing it? There's going to be plenty of room for the bread and butter clinician who's going to you know, be the front front guard, uh, um, taking care of patients, making the diagnosis, getting them to the appropriate sub 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 specialist. Yeah. And you know, if you want to be that generalist, that's still going to be a, a great opportunity. But there's also just enormous opportunities to to become that sub sub specialist. You know, be a, a cellular therapist, or to become the go, the uh, go-to person with drug development with a novel targeted therapeutics, or um, to expand beyond just the clinical practice into, you know, there's incredible opportunities now emerging for HEMONC in industry, in regulatory through the government, and people finding incredibly interesting career paths that um, you don't necessarily think about when you're sitting there in the middle of your residency um, uh, taking blood pressures and then and pushing yeah. uh, potassium. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it, it Hemonc is a uh, portal to all sorts of pathways into the future. So you, even though you're specializing, you're not specializing. You're you're opening the door wide open to all sorts of uh, possible future realities. So think about what you want your destiny to be, and then go for it. Absolutely, uh, and it's just interesting that the tools have changed uh, and will continue to change. 
but ultimately what you're doing is is probably the same from from your first day as a hematologist oncologist which is seeing patients dealing with very complex uh, life-threatening uh, life-changing events and offering tools to prolong their life or offering tools to, to compassionately help them through through these very difficult stages absolutely I've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews with prospective candidates and I think that's what really draws most people into this subspecialty is that you're dealing with people who are facing dire situations with their diagnosis of cancer. And there's a, there's a special bond that forms between physicians that take care of these patients and the patients and their families. And to, so and it gets back to the... Um, the basics of medicine and that, that personal relationship. Uh, I, th I think hemonc is one of the areas that um, most engages you with uh, those types of existential um, and meaningful interactions. And I also want to highlight, too, the incredible collaborative nature of hemonc. Um, you're not a solo practitioner just dealing with an a individual patient. You're dealing, um, you're, you're using a team of individuals, be it nurses, pharmacists, uh, but almost every other subspecialist, you know, surgeons, radi radiation oncologists, uh, um, imaging um, uh, folks, um, uh, yeah. almost every subspecialist of internal medicine engages you. So it's, it's a very um, refreshing type of practice in, in that regard because you um, you really bounce things off of everybody and that that's true for both the clinical practice and also the research side of the things and, 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 and in terms of one of the great aspects of our program you know we, we have these amazing tie-ins to School of Public Health to the School of Pharmacy mm -hmm. for research opportunities and things that um, I don't think residents have a full appreciation when they walk into their fellowship and it becomes apparent to them after they've been at it for a while. But if you start thinking ahead, there's amazing things you can do with epidemiology and, and yeah. uh, uh, um, outreach at the community uh, through school social work. It's it's an incredible opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and I think you guys can can hear uh, uh, Dr. Peace's passion for his field and for his fellowship. You know, he's been a program director for 18 years, and I think uh, uh, that just shows you how committed. Uh, he has, and that's something to look for when you look for fellowship programs. Uh, you know, good program director and good track record. So, uh, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Peace. This was excellent. I think our residents are going to get to know you, get to know the program, and get tips for applying. So, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>